welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. John, John chapter 8. This is the third part of a sermon series called Upside Down. So what that means is it's a twist. It's a story we see that Jesus is having here in the book of John, and what you think it's about, then he turns it, and it's about something totally, uh, it's really not what you expect. Next week we're going to see how Jesus healed a blind man, and then in two weeks we'll wrap it up, and we'll be able to see how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So we've been looking at these lengthy conversations that Jesus has, Jesus has had throughout the um, throughout the Gospel of John. So you're in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Not only that, um, you will be able to turn in your Bible in a little bit. We're going to turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, but not now. And then we're going to look at at the end times Bible verse here in Luke chapter 17, verse 26. So we're going to look at three different Bible verses over the next 30 minutes. And you're going to see this incredible twist that the Lord's going to make here on a very popular and common story we all know in the Bible. Now, in your Bible here, in John chapter 2, you will notice you will have this either in brackets or italicized. And you're wondering, why is that? Well, there's two sections of the New Testament that um, are probably, most Bible scholars don't think were in those original manuscripts. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't happen. They, I believe this event did happen. It just might not have been originally recorded here in John. And I listed some of those reasons in, um, in the bulletin. And if you ever want to read more, you can read all about this. If you have a study Bible, some of you have study Bibles, you can probably read the footnotes and it explains that, some of the reason why. The main reason why is because the early, manus- the early manuscripts of this passage, it is not is not recorded until about 500 years later. And if you read John chapter 7, if you look at verse 52, it naturally ends there, and it would naturally pick up in 8.12. So just reading the story, it would just flow perfectly, and this story is just kind of fit in there. Now, there's nothing theologically wrong whatsoever with this story, because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to not condemn a lady, and then he's going to turn it on the Pharisees. Now, he did that all the time. So it would have been standard uh, procedure of this story here. But that's why you see the brackets or the italicized words, or you have these big footnotes in your Bible. You say, well, what's the other passage in the New Testament? If you, you don't need to turn there. Another day you can look at it. The, the very last few verses of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 9 through the end of the book, are also uh, possibly weren't in the original manuscript there in Mark. Uh, the events certainly happened, but they just weren't there in the oldest manuscripts that we have. Those two sections of Scripture, this, with the ending of Mark and here in John chapter 8, are, always have footnotes in our Bible. So, but this story we're going to read here is one we need to study because it fits absolutely fits with Jesus' ministry, and it's one that's very uh, popular and very common with this. So this is when Jesus is going to meet the adulteress, and he's going to not condemn her, yet tell her not to sin anymore. So we're going to read this story. John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he went to the temple again. So he had been at the Mount of Olives, now he's, which is right outside Jerusalem. He goes back to the temple to teach. 
and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. So the Pharisees and the scribes do not like Jesus. And they somehow caught this woman. All right, Teacher, verse 4, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. Now, how on earth these people knew they actually caught her in the act that's a whole other story right there. If they're spying through the window, if it was a setup, this is a setup for Jesus. But this woman here was busted. Now, look at what it says in verse 5. And they're quoting a Bible verse here in verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say, Jesus? Now, the law, the, the law of Moses they're talking about is Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. And it actually tells us in our Old Testament law that a man and a woman, notice the, the, the adulterous man is nowhere to be found in this passage, because this isn't really about the woman whatsoever. This is a setup for Jesus. That's what they're doing here. The man and the woman, according to Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, are to be stoned if they're caught committing adultery. So, in verse 6, it says, They asked this to trap him in order that he, they might have evidence to accuse him. One of the things that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, despised about Jesus is that he knew his Old Testament law so well. He knew the Bible. And they were trying to paint him as a false teacher because he was, they were hoping to find that he was teaching against the law of Moses. So they wanted him to break the law. And then they could say, hey, look, everyone, this teacher, you're following Mo, uh, uh, Jesus here. He's telling people not to obey the law of Moses. You can't follow this false teacher. But they're struggling. They kept trying to trap him doing this over and over and over again. So many of the stories throughout the Gospels, we see this trap. So look what Jesus does. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he was writing. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. So Jesus says, listen, men, you're right. The law of Moses says stoner. And if you're without sin, you go ahead and you pick up your stone and you throw it as hard as you can there. You go do that if you're without sin. And that was a good answer because the older guys, they had to give Jesus credit. These old men, they, they didn't really want to fight so much as bad. The little guys wanted, the young men wanted to stone a woman. How exciting, I guess, it would be to stone someone. So they wanted to stone her. The older guys realized, you know what? Jesus is right. I'm not without sin. I'm just as guilty as this woman is. And they began to drop their stones and walk away, starting with the old men first. And finally the young guys realized, you know what, there's not a fight here. But also what we see in that passage too, older men set the example for the younger guys. If the older men would have threw first, absolutely, the younger men would have jumped right in. 
But because old guys started dropping their stone and realized, guys, we're not here to fight. We are sinners. This is not the right thing to do. The younger men followed along. And it goes on to say in verse 10, When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Like, where are the folks? You know, I'm just sitting here doodling in the sand, and we're waiting for you to get stoned. I'm waiting to see what's going to happen here. And then she says, No one, Lord, she answered, Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Jesus told her, says, ma'am, do not sin anymore. You go along and forgive your life of sinning. So what we, what's remarkable about this story, what sets this story apart, is Jesus is actually exalting exalting himself over the law of Moses. He's saying, you know what, guys? In Deuteronomy 22.2, you're absolutely right. You can, if you feel like you need to stone her, you go right ahead. And if you, you go right ahead if you're without sin. And the challenge with that is, these men who were so eager to stone her, they were also with sin. They were just as guilty as the woman was. So what's happening is he is reestablishing a foundation based on grace and mercy. The Pharisees, both these people needed redemption. The Pharisees were very righteous people. They followed the law of the letter of the law to a T. They were holier than thou. But because of sin, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, they were still born into sin. They were still condemned. Even though they followed the law and they might have sinned less than the lady, they were still sinners. But they needed to be taught about experiencing God's grace and showing mercy. This woman over here who was caught in adultery, yes, she did not live a righteous life. But she was someone who Jesus made her stand up and He says, you know what? Yes, you have sinned, but now you need to go and sin no more. She needed righteousness because she, she already received the mercy from the Lord. And the Pharisees over here, they had their righteousness, but they needed to receive mercy and grace. Do you see, both groups were lacking something. The Pharisees, with their, with their arrogance and pride, they had very little mercy, little grace to give. They did not have a forgiving heart. The woman over here, she had been forgiven. She knew she was, what she was doing was immoral. She needed to be set forth for righteousness. She needed to repent and begin living a righteous life. And many times in our life, we find ourselves in either one of those camps where we're either going to be, and a lot of times for church, folks who've been in church a long time, it's easy to become self-righteous. You can look around at the problems here in our wonderful city, in our country, and say, I'm so glad that's not me. I'm so glad I don't act that way. Or, 
you're over here and you've been trapped in this immoral culture and it's just drug you through the mud and you realize, Jesus, I need to begin living a righteous life. And wherever you're at, whether you're stuck in the mud and mirror of sin and you need the Lord to help stand you up and He says, go and sin no more, just like the woman. Or you're like the Pharisees who they need to learn about God's grace and God's forgiveness and about how it is the Lord who condemns. Do you know about condemnation? Who's the one who condemns us? Do we condemn one another? No. Are we judges? No. When we pass, when we pass away, we don't stand in front of you don't stand in front of your pastor or your friends and give an account. You don't stand in front of the federal government. You will stand before the Lord Jesus, and He is the one who condemns you, or He is the one who forgives you. And by default, we're already condemned. A few weeks ago, I mean, even small children know what's right and wrong. I teach toddler Sunday school. A few weeks ago, we had one of my customers. Little man in there, it was time to do something, and he didn't want to do it, so he wanted to take his shoes off. And we said, we can't always just take our shoes off. And then we said, you, young man, you need to put your shoes on. So he starts stomping his feet. Well, he didn't have to do, he didn't have to be, bare, by the way, that was stomping his feet, barefoot. No one had to ta- taught that little fellow to take his shoes off and throw them across the room and start stomping his feet. He's just born into that. Even children do not have to be taught sin. It's human nature. So all of us, without Christ, we are condemned. So each person, the upside down twist in this is the Pharisees are dragging this adulterous woman, by the way, without the husband, throwing her down there, says, what are you going to do about it? What do you say about this, Jesus? You going to follow the law? And Jesus turned around and says, you know who needs to follow the law, Pharisees? It's you. You're the one that needs to follow the law. God has extended a grace and forgiveness to you, Pharisees, but you refuse and you fail to do it to anyone else. In fact, if you don't have any sin, you go ahead and start throwing the stone, first stone, and you start killing her, if that's what you need to do. So Jesus actually gave those men permission to kill her. But if they had sin in their heart, they realized, I'm just as guilty. He's saying, there's two things many of us lack. We either lacked righteousness in your life, like the woman, or we lack the need for experiencing the grace of God. And the grace of God is what the Pharisees need to learn. The righteousness is what the woman need to learn. Jesus Christ calls us to be holy because God is holy. That's why we live righteous lives. God is a, a perfect, pure Lord. And as born again, saved believers, we line up our life with Him. God hates sin, and what we do is we want to pursue holiness in our life. We want to be more and more godly. But if you do that, if you strive to live a godly life without remembering God's grace and mercy He has extended to you, you will become what the Bible calls a hypocrite. Because hypocrisy, what that is, it's when you have an attitude as I don't do these type of things. I'm better than you. I'm glad I wasn't born into that. I'm glad I don't struggle with those type of sins. And when you're acting that way, you're forgetting that you're a sinner. You're forgetting your great and desperate need for Jesus. So what Jesus is doing here 
He's teaching us. He's saying, you know what? The reason why you don't commit sexual sin isn't because you fear stoning. The reason why we don't commit adultery or sexual immorality is because we're worried we're going to get stoned. Rather, the reason we're sexually pure with our eyes and our actions, it's because you've met God. It's because you're saved. It's because you've been born again. It's because you are bought with the price. It's because Jesus owns you. And you have chosen now because you have been saved from that. You are, you are, Jesus stood that woman up and He says, Ma'am, I don't condemn you. Go sin no more. What you did was wrong, but that's not who you are. You have been forgiven, and your life is changed. And that's what He does with us. Christ picks us up, and He sends us out, not condemned. He's reminding this woman. He reminds us, you were bought with a price. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. Because we see here, we honor the Lord with our sexuality. That is what we are commanded to do. But there was a time in the Bible when people did not do that. And we're going to see here, all the way back to the time of leading up to the flood, this is actually what brought about the flood. It's when sexual immorality and the wrong people were marrying and doing whatever, and it was in many ways living in a day just like today. And then Jesus, we're going to see here, He spoke about this passage. It's called the days of Noah. So when you go about our wonderful city, our wonderful state, and you see wild and crazy things, you are reminded, I live in the days of Noah. Jesus spoke about this. So let's see what the days of Noah were like. Because this is, this is our day today. I want you to turn your Bible. Follow along. Genesis chapter 6. This is the time. Verse 1. When mankind began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God. So who are the sons of God? Now remember, this is what we call the lineage of Seth. We have Adam and Eve. They had two little boys. Cain and Abel. Cain was not a happy customer. He kills Abel. Abel's dead. Then God gets on to Cain. And he's sent out in the land of Nod and becomes a wandering nomad. But then Adam and Eve get pregnant again and they have a new boy. And his name is Seth. So the two lines, all of humanity comes from those two lines. Either the lineage of Cain and the, or the lineage of Seth. Now, the lineage of Cain was killed, or it was killed out in the flood. But before the flood, there was a line of Cain. They were considered wicked. We come from all people today, come from the lineage, on earth today, come from the lineage of Seth. But there was a time where you had two different lines. So when you look here, in verse 2, it says, the sons of God, the sons of God, were the lineage of Seth, those were the righteous people, saw that the daughters of mankind, who were the daughters of mankind? That was the lineage of Cain. They were supposed to be in the land of Nod, but I guess they wandered away, and they, this group, one was over here, one was over here, but they, somehow they met up. So what happens here, 
It says, they saw that the daughters of mankind, that's the lineage of Cain, were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. So what we had, we had righteous people marrying unrighteous people. Seth's descendants and Cain's descendants were not supposed to do that. Cain's living for the devil over here, wicked folks. And then they had already begun practicing with Lamech polygamy in Cain's line. But then Seth's descendants were, were righteous folks. But then at this point here in chapter 6, they started intermarrying. And the, one of the things I want to tell you, your most important decision you'll ever make is to give your life to Christ. That's why your children and grandchildren need to go to camp. They need to go to student camp. They need to come every Wednesday night to youth group. Moms and dads, grandmas, y'all need to have your whole family here. They need to be learning about the Lord. Always learn about the Lord. The second most, decision, most important decision that you'll ever make is who you marry. And that's very important because you don't want to marry someone who does not love the Lord and who is not saved. And what happens, and this is what Paul talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians. He calls it being, we don't use this type of term, I'm not a farmer, but I guess if you lived on a farm, we don't go around saying they're unequally yoked. What that means is, I guess if I wanted to plow a field one day, I would hook up a really strong horse and say that really strong horse was a believer in Jesus. And then I had this half-dead horse here I bought on sale, and it's about to die, and it has worms, and its hooves are all broken, and it's just a, it's a lost horse. It, it, is, it, loves the, it loves the devil. It's a drunk. It's just not a good horse. And we put, take strong horse with dinky horse, and we put them together, and we go plow field. Well, dinky horses are going to be drug along, and, and they won't, it won't go straight. Strong horse will go way over here just dragging along. It wouldn't be a good plow. That's what happens when you marry a lost person. You've got someone who loves the Lord, who's saved, who lives for Jesus, who comes to church on Sunday, who reads their Bible, who has a prayer life, who raises their hands in, in, to the Lord. And then you've got lost man, lost woman over here, and they're not the same. That is recipe for a disaster of a marriage. You will have problems. Your children have problems. They're confused. And that's why the Bible is telling us here, the sons of God, they looked over and they saw the daughters of man, the lineage of Cain. They were very beautiful. That's lust. And they began to just start marrying them any way they wanted to. Folks, that's today's culture. They were marrying people not based on on their love for the Lord, but they were marrying people based on their looks. If you marry someone based on someone's looks, you will have very similar problems. Maybe not the first few years, but people's looks change. They don't always stay the same. And that's what happened here. And that's why Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. Second most important decision you'll ever make is the person you marry. A believer should marry another believer. And those two people serve the Lord together. And they have children who love and serve the Lord. That's what you want. Then they get married to other believers and they have children who love and serve the Lord. That's God's plan for, for humanity. Well, right here, leading up to the flood, Seth, the sons of God, Seth's godly people, began marrying ungodly people from the lineage of Cain. That's what that so so poor choice marrying ungodly people, sexual immorality is what started 
the flood. Keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever, because they are corrupt. That's what he said. They're corrupt. These people do not love me. They're immoral. They steal. They're thieves. They have no desire for the Lord. I want to bless them tremendously, but they, they, don't, they do not look to me anymore. Their days will be 120 years. Let me explain that passage. At that, the moment the Lord said their days will be 120 years, the clock was, stone, was counting. Say, so what's the clock counting for? When it was about to start raining for 40 days and 40 nights. 120 years is when the flood was going to happen. He says, I've had enough of this. I'm done with these folks. In 120 years, watch what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen in 120 years, but something's going to happen. I'm, he's going to... He has decreed an end. That does not mean only, nobody can live past 120 years old because Abraham and Jacob, that we know, the Bible says they all live beyond 120 years old. So what the Bible's talking about is talking about when the flood is going to begin in 120 years from this. And look at verse 4 just to show you how wild it was during this time. And this is one of these verses that you're going to have to ask the Lord in heaven what this means because we don't know. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. This is the only place in the Bible that talks about this. We don't know who these people are. And afterward, when the sons of God, that's the, the people of Seth, came to the daughters of mankind, so when they start intermarrying, righteous with unrighteous, who bore children to them. So that, that was the problem there. You did not have people who were children weren't godly. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. So the Nephilim, were, were on earth. These, some of your Bibles say they were giants. These were people who were making a name for themselves. And Nephilim could have been some of the products of, uh, we, we just don't know who these folks were, of lineage of Cain and as well as Seth. But they were folks who were prideful and who wanted to be very well-known and famous. And that's all we know about them. They were giants. And then they were on the earth at that time. Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Do you ever feel like you live in that day today? All the time evil. Total immorality. The Lord regretted, this is the only time we see that it says the Lord regretted making man. The Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth. And He was deeply grieved. He was so sad. He thought, these people who I made to worship me, all they want to do is evil and live for the devil. They would rather live for a devil who's going to take them to hell than live for me. Who I give them abundant, eternal life, but they do not want that. They want to live for, for sin. The Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky. Only the fish live through the flood. For I regret that I made them. So all these people did not, were, did not make it. It's sadness at this point. And the clock is on. 120 years to the flood is going to start. But look here. Here's, our, here's our, our verse of hope. Verse 8. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah, Noah's wife, Noah's three sons and their wives, eight people are all who made it on the ark. Because Noah was a righteous and godly man, 
He was saved through the flood. God saved this man's family. And they repopulated the earth. Noah was from the lineage of Seth. The lineage of Cain has died out. It was all killed out in the flood. There are no more Nephilim or giants on earth anymore. They all died out in the flood. All that made it were fish and eight people in the boat. That's it. Those are the only people who survived the flood. And we know the earth will not flood again because every time we see a rainbow in the sky, that is God's reminder, even as wicked as our world is, that He will not flood the earth again. This passage, was a, this event had to occur because godly men saw beautiful women who were not believers, who did not worship the Lord, who were of the devil, and began to take any as they wanted as their wives. It was an immoral marriage that actually began the fall of the flood. That's how it started right there. So in our lives, time this together, going all the way back to what happened here with Noah, we see immorality starting with who you marry and your sexuality, the flood actually came about from the sexuality of godly men marrying ungodly women. And God grieved because He made them. Now, what's amazing about this, the last verse we're going to look at, flip over your Bible here to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 17. Jesus spoke about this. He used the days of Noah talking about the end times. You ever wondered if you live in the end times? Have you ever thought, gosh, I wonder what it's like you know, here in 2023. The world seems so crazy. You never know what's going to happen. Every day, uh, it's like there's new types of, new types of evil. You all know I'm from Alabama. I'm from a little town called Vestavia Hills. Next to our little town is called Hoover. And last week, Hoover, where I'm from, or next to where I'm from, was on the national news. You think about inventing evil. Here's an example of how they invent evil. This one woman on the national news, she, this is a perfect example of just how wild things are, she began Googling how to stage a kidnapping. So she did a fake kidnapping of 459, which is a highway I used to drive up and down over and over and over. I know exact spot it happened. And what's even more amazing, she got her parents involved on it. So mom and dad went along with this hoax that their daughter got kidnapped and abducted on the side of the interstate. And they raised thousands of dollars. They had a big manhunt all through the city. And it's fake. Like, why, why would mom and dad... Well, could you imagine parents, your children coming, Mom, Dad, I've got an idea. I want to fake a kidnapping on the side of the interstate, and I need you in on it. And the parents go along with it so they could be on TV and be famous? I mean, like, you cannot make this. Every, every week it's something new. You can't even believe the stuff that you see anymore. That's what it's talking about here, the days of Noah. Just who knows what's going to happen. So Jesus starts talking about this. This is what it's like. Verse 26. You're in Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. These are the last two verses we're going to look at today. Look at this. I'm going to tie all this together with being upside down. Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah. So what were the days of Noah like? Jesus is going to tell us what the days of Noah are like. 
It, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. The days of the Son of Man means the second coming. When Jesus comes back, one of the clues is going to be the days of Noah. So here's what it's like. Verse 27, the days of Noah. It says, people went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. Don't miss that. They were marrying and giving in marriage. That was the problem with the days of Noah. You had godly people marrying ungodly people, and their children weren't godly. The righteousness Righteous people were being corrupted and being made unholy. Parents, grandparents, you should be praying now for who your children and grandchildren are going to marry. You want them to marry a godly person who loves the Lord. Because if they don't, it's very easy. If you marry someone who does not love Jesus, next thing you know, in a matter of years, you, you won't be in church. You won't be teaching your children about the Bible. You will have one spouse that's struggling because they, she knows, he or she knows they should be living for the Lord, and the other spouse is literally working against them. Unequally yoked, and it causes problems. That is a sign of the days of Noah. And it says, these people are just going around eating and drinking, marrying all the wrong people. It's just like nothing's going on. If you and I, we are Bible-believing Christians. We go out in our wonderful city, and you find someone that's just living a party life, and it's all around here. And you go out and you plead with them, say, you need to repent and turn to the Lord. They'll be holding their non-bud light because people don't drink that anymore because it says here they're going to be drinking. And they'll laugh at you. Go, here, dang, calm down, Mr. Preacher. It's okay. There's no problem at all. Have a beer. Just do whatever you want. It's just this casual party, anything-goes lifestyle. That is what the days of Noah are like. That's what he's saying right here. He's saying people are just doing whatever. And then it says, until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It caught the people off guard. And what that means for us, we need to make sure that we are Christians, who are very aware that we live in the days of Noah, and here's what the, day, the Son of Man is like, the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be suddenly, when Jesus comes back, we aren't going to be prepared for it. It'll happen just like that. The day it started raining, up until the flood, it had never rained before. They didn't even know what the stuff was. It started raining, and it never stopped. And then the other thing we see here is what also happens suddenly is people can pass away suddenly. It happens just like that. You don't think about dying, but people do experience death. Whether by Jesus coming back or by death, we will meet our Maker. And we as believers, we have to re always remember, we live in the days of Noah. So what does this mean for us today? We know we live in this time. We know what the Bible says. We find people who are either self-righteous or who are living immoral lives. And we look at them just like Jesus said, and it says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You need to live a righteous life, lady, and you need to live a life remembering God's grace and mercy in your life. You need to extend grace to others, and you need to repent of your sin and begin living for the Lord. Whenever we speak to people, we are all the time are going to meet self-righteous people, or we're going to meet just lost pagans doing whatever they want. And both of those people groups need Jesus. 
You think this story, the upside down twist with that, you think is about the adulterous woman. But Jesus actually turned around and said, no, I just want you to know, Mr. Pharisees, the problem's really not the woman, the problem's you. You're the one who's self-righteous. You're the one that won't extend mercy. You're the one that won't give grace and forgiveness. It's you, Mr. Pharisee, self-righteous man. You're the one who God has saved and who has gifted and has forgiven you, but you failed to give it to her. And this morning I ask you, in your life, wherever you're at, you identify the self-righteous Pharisees. That's easy to look down in our culture thinking, gosh, we really live in the days of Noah. There's some wild things going on out there. That's a bad attitude to have. Because you can find yourself thinking like a Pharisee. The right attitude is, I need to be telling other people about Jesus. If you and I look around our wonderful city, and we see a lot of lostness, instead of blaming the culture, instead of blaming the devil, we should look in our hearts and say, maybe this is occurring because I'm not witnessing because I'm not sharing the gospel, because I'm not telling people how to be saved at school and at work. And when I go to the grocery store, and just family members, the people you come in contact with, of just letting them know how Jesus Christ can save them and change whatever they're going through. He looks at us and says, you are not condemned. Go and sin, sin no more. Now, she's already condemned. Just like the Pharisees. By default, we're all condemned. But what he said, well, you're not condemned. He says, ma'am, I'm not going to stone you. I'm not going to kill you right now. Jesus was actually the only one there who who actually could because he is sinless. But he says, I'm not going to do it. But all the parties here were spiritually condemned and they all needed to learn a lesson from the Lord. And for us this morning, Christ is teaching us We need to be able to look at our hearts and say, where do I stand? When I see lostness, do I get a Pharisee attitude? A cocky, arrogant attitude? Or am I stuck in the mud like this adulterous woman and Jesus needs to stand me up and I need to hear the words of our Lord, what He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what He speaks to this woman. And if you are trapped in sin, He is looking at you today, standing you up, saying, that's not who you are anymore. You don't need to be an adulteress. You don't need to be this lady. You don't need to be this type of man. You need to, from now on, take the mercy and the grace of God and go live for the Lord. This morning I ask you, where are you at in this story? Because we're either going to be one or the other. We're going to be on the Pharisees or we're going to be stuck in the mud here, caught in adultery, whatever our, our sin is. And Jesus is looking and speaking at both of them. Beach, I want to invite you and your band to come forward at this time. We're going to have our invitation. We're going to have an invitation to respond. And some of you need to respond just like the Pharisees responded by dropping their stone. That was their response. When they, were, when they looked at Jesus and said, What do you say? Jesus didn't say anything. He says, if you're without sin, you throw the first stone. And the woman here, she responded by standing up. They all left and said, ma'am, stand up. You're not condemned anymore. So if you need to drop your stone or you need to stand up, both of those are responses 
we see right here. Both of those. The Pharisees need to drop their stone and quit trying to kill folks. And the women, woman who's just living an immoral lifestyle needs to say, ma'am, stand up. You need to, that's not you. You stand up. I'm putting you on solid ground, and you're going to send out to a righteous life. So we're going to stand up and respond to the Lord. If God has called you this morning to make a decision to follow Him, we need to respond. If they can respond to this story, you can too. I stand out front along here with Zach Bauer. He's going to be standing next to me. This is our time we join our church. This is our time we get saved. This is our time we come forward and say, I got saved at camp. I want to get baptized. I want to become a member. Whatever it is, you make your decision to follow Jesus. All right, Beecher.